I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. So you're back. Thank you so much for joining us again. Rebecca and I, uh, when we recorded this podcast, decided that we will keep going because the uh, conversation was so engaging and so enriching. And Rebecca is so wonderful in so many ways. My new friend that I met because of the support that you give me to ask people to come and chat with me on slow-mo. Rebecca Seal is an award-winning food, drink, and lifestyle and personal development writer. She's based in London, worked as a freelancer for over 10 years, and uh, she's the author also, on top of many, many cookbooks, she's the author of Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind, which is a very timely book, very thoroughly researched, It's pulling on behavioral science and organization psychology and economics, and it features interviews from some very high-profile, renowned and effective solo workers. Rebecca is also, as I said, has written eight cookbooks, and her journalism is published worldwide in many newspapers and magazines. As you may have remembered from our first interview, I think we went more on the topic of working from home or working alone, and really the topic of how you can connect deeply to yourself to understand what it is that really matters to you. And from there, we went into all of those different topics, many more interesting topics today. Thank you for joining us again. Let's continue with Rebecca Seal. Because it's hard and sometimes it's painful and it's frightening because sometimes it means that you have to do things that you weren't expecting or that are kind of really risky feeling. They're changes that you're going to need to make, which are intensely challenging. I think that's why often. But the thing that I, I think that's what stops us. I don't think that that's actually often what happens. I think that's what stops us having the conversations with ourselves is that we're fearful of what the answers are going to be. But what I find really extraordinary about whenever I have those conversations with myself which I tend to do with like a big piece of paper in front and in front of me and then I kind of write down all the things that come up is that you can discover things about yourself things that you want that you didn't even know totally <laughs> but then they can be really easy things to act on like this is such a kind of minor and parochial example but I do this practice I wrote about in the book where I It starts off where you do a massive kind of brain dump of what you want your life as a whole to look like in 10 years time. So your body, your 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 state of ambition, where you live, what your relationship with your family is like, your kids, your partner, are you married, are you not, do you want to be, you know, all this stuff and your career, what kind of work you want to be doing and everything. And first of all, I just think it's really, really interesting to do that exercise anyway, like in and of itself, what do you want in 10 years time? How many of us do that in general? Like we might think I want my business to be successful. Or we might think, I want to be married or something along those lines. But we don't tend to think kind of, we don't give ourselves a big picture view of what the future might hold. And in which case, it's impossible to work towards the stuff, right? If you don't know what the stuff is that you want, exactly, how can you possibly be moving towards it? So I did this technique. And then what I do from that is I distill out of that 10 statements, which if they were all true, would give me that life in 10 years time. 
So if that makes sense. And then I write them down in the present tense every day. Well, I used to do it every day. I do it about three times a week now. So anyway, I'll come back to the results of that. One of the things I wrote down was I'd really like to have a nice garden. (laughs) And we've got a garden here. We're very lucky. But it was like a scrap of mud, like nothing on it at all. (laughs) And I didn't know I wanted a garden. I didn't know I liked gardens. I didn't know that that mattered to me. I didn't know that it was making me kind of depressed to look out on this scrap of like wasteland (laughs) um, every time I looked out of the window. I didn't know any of that because I've never had a conversation with myself about it. Anyway, because of lockdown, we've done the garden. And it is like such a source of joy. It's such a source of joy. I had no idea that that was part of who I am. Absolutely none. No interest in plants, no kind of, you know, no books about it, no nothing. It was only because I sat down and had that conversation that I accessed that bit of myself. And now I've got this thing, which I made myself also, (laughs) which is amazing, that gives me loads of joy. The other side note to the 10 things thing is that I started doing it before I wrote the book, before I got the book deal. And one of the things in the list was... I write books which were my idea and sell very well, which is basically I want to write books which are not cookbooks. So I'd been writing that for a few weeks. And then I get this call from my agent out of the blue saying someone's interested in that book that you talked to me about four years ago. (laughs) And I don't believe in the universe manifesting like I've got absolutely no no kind of connection to that sort of thinking. I just think that by articulating what it is you want, you are much, much more likely to move in that direction, to do things subtly or unsubtly in your life, which will allow those things to happen. So one of the things I write is I have a great marriage. I have a great marriage. I want to have a great marriage in 10 years time. I am going to need to do things over that period of time to make sure that that greatness of marriage sticks. So it's really important that I write it down every day or a few times every week because it keeps it in the front of my mind. You know, I also write like I I put my kids first and I make them feel good about themselves because that's something I that's really important. And I kind of struggle with it. So I also for a while wrote, uh, no, still I'm writing it. I have a successful podcast about work, which launches this week. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So why am I not on it? I work too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm still making it. You should definitely come on it. But the first episode comes out in a couple of days. But the point is, I decided I wanted this thing. And then I kept writing down that I wanted this thing. And in the end, slowly, slowly, bit by bit, I made it happen. Because I knew that I wanted it. And I was reminding myself that I wanted it constantly. And it's like, it's just so powerful. It is so powerful. And by the way, I'm a huge believer in the universe manifesting. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> And I have multiple explanations to them. You know, if you're religious, it's because God gives it to you. That's fine if that's what you believe. If you're into quantum physics, this is the uncertainty principle at its best. You know, good that you have that. It could be focus bias or attention bias. If you write it down, by definition, you give it attention. Absolutely. I mean, think about it this way. If you wrote down, I want to have a successful podcast, and you said that to yourself three times a week, you're much more likely to have achieved that than if you wrote down, I want to finish Game of Thrones. (laughs) right it's the same number of hours just you know if you tell yourself i want to finish gaming on by the way if you want to good it's your life you know you can waste it it's your choice right (laughs) no i did did i say waste it whoops i'm so sorry for all of the game of thrones fans out there the truth is if you actually see that clarity it changes everything really it does change everything Oh, I just had no idea of the power of it. I just had no idea of the power of knowing what I wanted. I mean, it sounds so obvious and so kind of mad that I didn't know it before, but I just had no idea how powerful knowing what I wanted from my life was. Can I ask a question? 
how do you know if having a successful podcast is good for you? Or it's like some of that editorial work that you did before, and you probably wanted it when you did it, and then it turned out that it wasn't that great? Um, I think that's an interesting question. I don't have an answer. It might not be good for me. I guess the difference was with that work in the past versus this work is that I do want it. I didn't really want that work. It came to me because of the position that I was in being on television. I didn't go out looking for it. People wanted to use me for my status. And that's part of the awkwardness in it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that's not a kind of a sort of uncomfortableness to that. It's so amazing as you say it, because, you know, we find ourselves in those places and you go like, how did I end up here? What am I doing here? You know, do I even yeah, want to yeah, be yeah. here? Yeah, completely, completely. The distance between the person who left university, who's quite kind of idealistic with quite strong political views and a really kind of mouthy feminist and the person who was being filmed wearing kind of pretty clothes and like not this is not to do with the tv work the tv work never required me to do anything like that but there's some of the branded work that I did did have quite clear ideas about how I should dress and things like that and there was like a gulf of a like a chasm between me and the person who I had been and I guess the difference between that work and this work is that this work brings me closer back to who that person is because the stuff that I'm talking about on the podcast is how to not burn out, how to manage your relationships when you work from home and other people are working from home at the same time. It's about how to, you know, how to rest and take care of your body when you work from home. It's about how to figure out who you are and what your identity is. And that feels, you know, like it's got a point. <laughs> it, mm. feels, it feels <laughs> sort of purposeful. And I guess because it was something that I intended to do, it just feels better than than stuff that just happened to that me. That just you stumble upon, yeah. Yeah. So what's the name of the podcast again? Because everyone should go give it a try. Thank you. Um, it's called The Solo Collective. We could have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a great idea. I think it's very timely. I mean, ideas like burnout, relationships at home, all of that, I think is very, very timely. And I, and I have to say... Do you expect that? Do you expect that we will be working from home or at least more from home, even if lockdowns start to yeah. go away? I mean, I think it's so polarizing. I don't think we can go back to exactly what we had before. And I'm not sure we should want to. One of the things that I am deeply concerned about, and I, I don't actually feel like, although I'm a working from home expert, as it were, and that people sort of use me as that at the moment, which I, which is great. I'm very happy with that. I don't think working from home works for everybody. And I know that there are people who really, really miss the office. And so I think we have to have proper nuanced conversations that take in the fact that people are extremely different and have extremely different requirements and people at different stages in their lives have different needs in terms of how their work is arranged and what their work provides for them. Because when you're in your 20s, for example, your work is in many cases your kind of social safety net, isn't it? 
Whereas when you're older and you're um, maybe you're a parent or maybe you're not, it might have less kind of power in that sense. Um, and it might create more complexities because you might be trying to manage like a whole bunch of caring responsibilities. So I think we have to be careful in being binary about it at all. One of the things that I am worried slash furious about is that I think that old white middle class men with power are beginning to hijack the conversation And of course, they want everybody back in the office because that serves their power. That's the patriarchy speaking. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Welcome back, Rebecca. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rebecca, age 22, is back at nearly 40. Yeah, that is the old normal served people like that extremely well. So of course, executives from big banks are going to say they want everybody back in the office. Of course they are, because... It serves them well and it doesn't serve marginalised groups, people from minorities, people with caring responsibilities and in many cases women. And also people who identify as non-binary. You know, there are loads of ways in which groups that are underrepresented and marginalised are going to be further, well, not further damaged, but, you know, there's an opportunity here to create a working environment which is equitable and human-centred which work has not been for two or three hundred years. The Industrial Revolution shaped the patterns through which we work. And that was based on the fact that electric lighting was invented and you could grind shift workers through a 16-hour day and spit them out at the end. And eight-hour working days came in at the beginning of the 1900s because of the campaign to stop those incredibly long days. The working week as it stands attending an office or a factory or whatever was never designed because it suits human lives or human brains or human bodies. It's a relic. It's a leftover of what we what we were given by the Industrial Revolution. This moment is an opportunity to, to shed that stuff like a snakeskin, but it's also far too early to do it. Like it's far too soon in this process to say, right, yep, yeah, we've got the answer. We are definitely, definitely 100% back in the office or we're 100% remote. Or And I feel that anybody who says we've worked this out and this is what we're going to do from here on out is making a big mistake because, you know, every organisation needs to respond to this individually. And in some ways, every individual needs to have a response opportunity to this. But then at the same time, it's like so complicated. At the same time as that, we're all knackered. We're in no place to be making decisions about anything. We're exhausted. You know, like this has been the most difficult year of any of our lives, probably. So to say, you know, to an organisation, you've got to make a big structural decision about what you do for the next five years is wholly unrealistic. I can't really decide what to cook for dinner. I don't know, I don't <laughs> yeah, know how yeah. to structure an organisation. I think we are in a place where where we have to at least reject the tendency to go back with gravity. I think the least we should do is to say, no, no, this is, there must be another way. I mean, I have never thought about it the way you did right now. I think this is really eye-opening for me because I have struggled, you know, as a senior leader myself who completely believes in the feminine, who has always, always had 50% of my leadership team, not just men and women, but real feminine men and women, if you want, and real masculine men and women. I had, I had a very interesting mix of women who could bring their womanhood to work, if you want. And I think the idea here is you slipped it in the middle of the conversation and you said, is this better for women? Is working from home 
an alternative to long maternity leaves? You know, could we actually have the maternity leave merge somehow with a couple of days of working from home? Or can we have, there are so many ideas that I've never thought about, you know, non-binary people. Yeah, you could potentially lose a lot less women from the workforce if you allowed fully flexible working that wasn't just lip service. Yeah, and allowed them to actually continue to progress and to create a, a full career that is not, you know, interrupted and to contribute. And I think, you know, we never think of that. We don't. And the other side of that coin is that it's important to note that you have to make it so that men have the same, the patterns are followed through for men as well, because otherwise it does marginalise women and you do end up with people who are like, oh, you know, she's the two-day a weeker or whatever. And and there is there is a danger, and this is pre-pandemic data, but there is a danger where you've got a 50-50, like a hybrid and, uh, sorry, remote and in-office team where the people who are fully remote and therefore less visible tend to not get the same career premiums as the people who are in person. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done around that stuff. But that's kind of what I mean. Like these conversations, we're just beginning to have them. And I keep reading headlines that say the work from home experiment is over or the results of the work from home experiment are in and whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. We've just worked from home in a pandemic. That's not the same thing. We need to let this play out for longer because the surveys that you send out as an organisation that say, do you like working from home? Well, no. In February 2021, when people have been working from home on and off for a year or mostly on for a year, and their kids were at home, and it was raining sideways in the UK. <laughs> Obviously, everyone was going to say, no, no, I hate it. I want to go back to the office. Please, I'll get a train to anywhere. I just want to be anywhere. But here, I would have gotten a train to anywhere in the middle of February with two homeschooling children and acres of mud in every park in the whole of South London. Nowhere to go. Of course, I would have taken a job at, I don't know, Goldman Sachs or something, anything to get no, me out of the no. house. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I just think... In many cases, organisations are seeking answers that fit with the narrative that they want to follow. Um, I was speaking to somebody on a Twitter spaces, which felt very modern, a couple of days ago. And he was saying that the way that these workers' satisfaction surveys are worded is really critical. Like, Totally. You can get information out of people that doesn't actually chime with what they really feel if you ask the questions in the right or wrong way. So I just think, you know, it's like there's so much yet to discuss. There's so much yet to learn. And I think if you ask somebody who's working from home in July in the UK where it's sunny and, you know, you can meet friends outside and have barbecues in the park and all that kind of thing, do you want to carry on working this way? You know, drinking rose on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, most people will say, brilliant. Yeah, I'm up for it. Let's carry this on. You know, there's so much more to discuss on this. There's so much more to discuss. That's a brilliant way of positioning it. You know, the question is, do you want to do you want to meet people? Yes. If the question is framed as, do you want to go back to the office? Yes. If it is framed as, do you want to work from home and go to the park on Friday afternoon? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, do you miss your colleagues? Yes. Do you want to see your colleagues in the office again? Like if there's no option to see them in any other context than in the office, then of course you're going to tick yes, aren't you? Like it's, it narrows it. It takes out the subtleties and the and the nuance. And that's not to say like working from home is perfect and we should all kind of embrace it. But I just think we need to, we need to think about what we've gained, all of the things that we've gained in the last year. You know, all of the dads who are more present in their children's lives, for example. Oh. Um, all of the carers who have, are not kind of stretching themselves really thinly in order to try and do their work and care for people in their lives. And 
there is some some evidence to suggest that people are working longer hours. Some people are working longer hours, but other people are kind of embracing a level of work-life balance that they haven't had before because they're not commuting for three hours a day or whatever Correct. it might be. Yeah, It's really, really individual. The story of this stuff is playing out so uniquely in every single house, every single flat. It's so important that we don't give binary answers, that we don't say, yes, we must go back to the office or no, we must not go back to the office or this works for everybody or this doesn't because it's just so nuanced. So I actually totally agree with you. Everyone is is working a little extra. That's because we're a little less efficient at this new style of work. I mean, think about the times when you joined a new organization or a new job and you stayed a little late every day because you were learning, you were just finding your way around and so on. And then after a while, it becomes a little easier. You can navigate your life within your eight hours. And if you made the choice to leave within eight hours, you'd be able to. So it's natural to work a little extra at the beginning. I actually work less. I mean, most of my life, because in Google, I had 50 offices around the world, right? I was never in the office, if you want. Even if I was in one of the offices, I wasn't in the other 49 when I had my calls with people for ages. Can I ask you once again to go to that? And I, you know, I really want you to visit that from the point of view of a a woman. I had a guest on this podcast, Alice Law, a few weeks ago that, you know, introduced a concept that she calls the superwoman syndrome. (laughs) And I I loved that idea. You know, the idea that so much is expected from women that is way above and beyond what's expected from men, and especially women in their 30s. She's in her 30s. So she was saying, you know, you're expected to work and excel in your work and then make money and, you know, be up to par with all of your friends who have a million followers on Instagram. And then, you know, you need to find the love of your life and get married and have children and keep a tidy place and cook and look amazing and work out and squat 200 times a day and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, familiar. (laughs) (laughs) And I think when, when I hear you speaking, I actually realize as well I love the word that you mentioned that fathers have stayed closer to their children. And I, you know, it sort of touched my heart a little because I wish I could have done that actually when my kids were younger. And so I think everyone should be grateful for it. But I still have to say that even working from home is sort of a little more advantageous for a man than it is for a woman. The responsibilities of superwomen, even as we work from home, is just, you know, it's bigger, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're completely right. I think that there are some sort of gender based issues around working from home. Although I did interview someone, Jennifer Petriglieri, who is a British academic who lives in France, but is married to an Italian. Wow. Okay. (laughs) About this stuff. She studies the ways in which working couples sort of manage their lives and people who stay together primarily. And she was saying that actually, although it often splits along gender lines, that tends to be because women are more likely to do the job which allows them to stay at home. But actually, if it's the other way around and it's the man who stays at home, then very often the the extra responsibility falls on the man who's working from home. So that was quite interesting. So it's not, it's not necessarily a gender thing. It might be the at-home thing. But when there's two of you working from home, it can get really complicated. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the mental, the phrase mental load. The idea that women carry around, or no, not that's not true, it's not always women, that somebody in a relationship often carries around a kind of ongoing mental spreadsheet of all the stuff that has to be done. And it's a really difficult thing, and a lot of it does fall on, on a woman's shoulders. 
the brilliant piece of life-changing advice that I got and that we we did was to write everything down that has to be done and then divide it between us. And I have to say, that's been completely life-changing. I mean, it sounds incredibly simple. Steve is a very involved parent, but he just had no idea how much stuff I was carrying around in my head. That's such a brilliant idea. Yeah, I mean, it's just really good. So so we've divided it up now and I'm doing all these invisible things like making sure everyone's vaccines are up to date and doing all the school admin and the nursery admin and the fancy bloody dress that everybody has to wear every now and then, you know, and all of that <laughs> stuff. Do you have World Book Day in Dubai? It drives me a bit crackers. It's like a day when all the children have to dress up as a character a from their favourite book. And oh, it's, man. you know, it's a brilliant idea, but it's also torture on parents because people are like, I want to be the hungry caterpillar. And they tell you on <laughs> Thursday and it's the next day. <laughs> and you're like, right. Imagine if they all wanted to be a character from your book. Hmm. No. That would be great. I mean, next time, that's what I'm going to suggest. <laughs> <laughs> This is your favorite book, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so we sat down um, and we made a list and we divided it in half. And now he does all the laundry and he does all the bins and he does all the stuff to do with the car and bills and all that kind of stuff. It's not really divided on gender lines because, you know, traditional ideas of gender. And I do all the other stuff and it feels equitable and I'm not angry all the time, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> a reminder to all of our listeners, Steve is happily married. So look for someone <laughs> like him. Okay, don't go chase him. All right. Just be very clear here. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. After pitching your wonderful husband to the whole world. <laughs> he's great. Just like I'm not the perfect wife. He's not the perfect husband, but he's great. But it was funny because after I'd done this interview with Jennifer, who's going to be on the podcast in a few weeks time, and she gave me all, all this brilliant advice, I said to my friend, Rinku, like, oh, I've done this amazing interview with this brilliant woman, Jennifer, and she's talked all about how you manage working with a partner and like, you know, in the same space. And, and she was like, wow, what do you do? And I was like, well, you just have to really talk about it a lot, all the time. And she was like, that's the tough part. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, I think that's the same with so much of this stuff, right? It's like, we know the answer. We know what we're supposed to be doing. It's convincing ourselves to do it because it's hard yeah. or tricky or boring or whatever but yeah I just thought it was so funny that she was like oh right great <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not always because of her I mean he could be not very communicative I think if someone if someone really oh no I bet you know it's not that it's just that it's it's hard isn't it to start a conversation and we found it hard it's hard to start a conversation where you have to sort of say right I don't think things are divided up very fairly between us and we need to change that like that is a hard conversation to begin having within a relationship there are ways and ways of going about it Can I give you some food for thought about this? If they were divided unequally and it was unfair to the man, he would have spoken up immediately. That is, that is interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think the message to every woman here is, honestly, if it's not fair, it's not fair. I think the challenge is, can we just say it's not fair and that's it? And, and that's not a problem at all. I interviewed here Kasha, Kasha Urbaniak, who was an incredible you know, interview about how a woman should be able to gain her position through a bit of dominance. And the idea, honestly, is if a man felt it was unfair, he would speak in two minutes. It's something that women should keep in mind, really. I, I mean, it's a trick I use sometimes. It's one I've only recently been told about. But I do when I'm in a difficult situation with work or I'm frustrated by how somebody's behaved towards me in a work context. I do try and think, how would a man respond? 
Absolutely. Rather yeah. than the softly, softly. I'm so sorry to mention this, but do you mind if I just possibly say a few things about this, you know, still very <laughs> tiny and I don't really mind, but could we just possibly have a conversation about, you know, stop do that and stop doing that. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's hard. It's a big shift because it's a cultural construct and they're heavy on the shoulders, those things. I think it's beautiful that a woman is that way. And I think it's beautiful that a woman lives up to how she's comfortable. I don't think there is anything wrong with that. I think it's all about that feeling of, no, no, hold on. It's not that I'm doing anything wrong at all. It's actually absolutely fair to bring this up. And it's absolutely fair to feel that I'm worthy of more help, that this is the right way to do it, that this is good for him as much as it is good for me, because you know what? He might get kissed if he did some work, because honestly... (laughs) I'm too tired without it. And I, and I say that openly as a man, because I will say most men will respond very positively to that. If he loves you and he wants the relationship to work, his immediate answer will be like, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for bringing it up. Are you asking me to do those two tasks and carry that thing and 14 kilos after that? You know, men are really like, eh, okay, I'll do it. I mean, if it's a good yeah, man. Yeah, I guess the difference between what I'm suggesting and, and maybe that exact sort of example is the mental load idea is that you don't have to ask. The sharing is such that it just gets done because the load, the bit that's heavy is the could you just carry that and can you just take that and that needs doing and then could you do that and da 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 because then you feel like a household manager rather than an equitable partner in a team and it's a really unpleasant dynamic for a relationship to occupy because it's very kind of unromantic yeah so I guess that's I more meant dividing up tasks so that somebody else has full responsibility for them yeah yeah and you don't even have to think about them the other person. I love that. And I think, you know, she was also, Jennifer was also saying that this is something, it's not just a dynamic which plays out in romantic relationships. It's also true of housemates who are sharing a, a house. You know, she said there's almost always one person who's got the mental load for that household. And everybody else kind of looks at that person to be told what to do, but doesn't kind of manage the situation themselves. And obviously that stuff becomes much more intensified when loads of people are working from home in one in one household, like loads of adults. So it's complex. But she was saying, again, the same response is still true. Like you sit down, you write a list. These are all the things that have to be done. This is who is responsible for each of them. The end. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Can I take you back to being the work from home expert and ask you, I think one of the more frequently asked questions to me, which is what do you do when you're locked down with someone when things are not working out really well? In a relationship, Uh, In a relationship and, you know, roommate, whatever, right? Some of us are locked down in small places, one bedroom or a studio or whatever. And, you know, the other person is not that pleasant or you've been arguing or whatever. Is there a way to get out of that? Well, I mean, that's a really hard one, isn't it? I would say that's a fairly intolerable situation. And yeah, if you can, if you can escape from it, then do, because nobody deserves to be in a situation where they're around somebody who's being unpleasant to them. I mean, I wouldn't say that this is fully my area of expertise, but if you've tried everything that we've discussed and you've tried to have open dialogue, then at some point we all have to say, don't we, that we've had enough and that we we can't try anymore. But I mean, there's lots of online spaces where you can go to get support and kind of advice on that kind of thing. But I think if if the dynamic is such that things are really kind of damaged, then that's really hard. But I also think... It's worth examining 
when you're in that situation. And I would never want, when talking about this stuff, I would never want to say to somebody, you you know, you must give someone another chance. But I guess in the same way that I was saying, we're too exhausted to make big decisions as organisations. We're also kind of too exhausted to make big decisions as individuals. And, and I have an acquaintance who said that he was going to divorce his wife halfway through, about halfway through last year. And was just like, this is intolerable, I can't bear it. And then hasn't because he kind of realised that it was actually lockdown that was intolerable, not his wife. <laughs> and this is like a pressure cooker, isn't it? It's it's the worst. It really is. Brings out the worst in people. You know, there have been times in the past year where I haven't been particularly delightful to be around. <laughs> or, you know, the best parent or the kindest friend or any of those things, because it's just so, it's so draining to try and be at your best in this situation. So there will be relationships which will be repairable, but have just suffered due to the extreme tension of the last year. And especially if you're in a small place. I mean, I have lived in some very small places in London. And I think often of the people who are certainly living in them now. And I wonder what that feels like. Because they were hard to live in in the normal run of things. And I think they'll be very hard to live in now. So I, I take two things I said at the beginning back you're not private at all. You're so <laughs> amazingly open and sharing and so much wisdom, Rebecca. I'm so grateful for what you shared. It's really, you have that thing, by the way, where you make it look easy. It's like, yeah, you know, you just do this and do that and then carry half a ton. And, you know, but it is actually easy when you understand it. And I think that's amazing. The other thing I'll take back, as I said, I actually had that intention. I didn't lie when I said, let's go back to cookbooks and recipes later. But the conversation was so wonderful in other topics. So for all of you uh, listening, a lot of Rebecca's food work is online. So, hey, seriously, I mean, if you want her to come back and talk about food, vote <laughs> for it and send us, send us messages on Instagram or whatever, and we'll do it because I love talking to Rebecca. Otherwise, go do that. And I think we've used the time incredibly well and wisely to talk about such amazing topics with such an incredible, delightful thinker and teacher. I don't know if you've been told that before. No. So, no, yeah, I think you should uh, start observing that side of you. I'm so grateful, Rebecca. It's really, really wonderful. Thank you for the time and thank you for all that you shared with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've gone very pink in the cheeks now. I'm blushing after all of that. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> oh, so thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation. So wonderful, so diverse. And I have to admit, you know, when I started researching Rebecca, because she has so such a wide presence in food and recipes and so on, I thought we we're going to talk about food. I hope you go and research her food work. Amazing recipes, a lot of fun. But meanwhile, I hope you have enjoyed this as much as I did. Find me on social media. As I always say, uh, I'll answer every question that you send me. I am Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn. I apologize if I cannot accept any more invitations for connections sometimes, uh, you know, because I'm at my limit on LinkedIn. Mo.gaudet.official on Facebook and mgaudet on Twitter. And uh, yeah, do tell me ideas and how I can improve this. Please rate it five stars if you haven't done already. It really helps me spread the message. And uh, yeah, I will always say, as you can see, there are always ways, regardless of how much you have on your agenda today, how busy you are, there's always some time to slow down. 
I love you all for listening, for the opportunity that you give me to meet such amazing people. And I'll see you next time.